This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. This week on the Doctor Who Podcast, we bring our Regeneration series bang up to date with the fall of the 11th. It's Time of the Doctor. Yes, hello and welcome to the Doctor Who podcast, where we, we have reached, we've reached the time, we've reached, we've, we're calling time on our Regenerations series with Time of the Doctor. Uh, I'm joined in the camper run with Ian and Michelle. How are you both? Hello, hello, hello. Season's greetings. We're back in Christmas, right? Mm, yeah, it's, it's Christmas <laughs> all year round in Christmas. Oh, okay, okay. Did you bring me anything? Uh, do you know, uh, I, I've, I've, I've been away, uh, you'll have noticed I've not, I've not spoken to you in a long time, I've not been on the podcast. I became a monk and uh, I took a vow of silence, so <laughs> I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything in the shops. I mean, I desperately wanted to get you a present. Oh. Did you have your head taken off though? Uh, no, no, it was a different kind of monastery. <laughs> it was more like the Tom Baker kind of monastery. Oh, I see. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Well, well, some of us might actually think we're doing penance watching Time of the Doctor again. Oh, I'm glad we're going to have a difference of opinion because I'm, I, mm. I'm, I'm not feeling that vibe, I see, because Time of the Doctor for me is wonderful. I, I recently we rewatched actually with a, with a Doctor Who virgin and we watched right from ser- the beginning of Series 7, right, th- well, to be honest, right from Series 5, but the beautiful bit was, was watching for me the whole of the 50th year so you know right from series 7 all the way through to, through to the, the specials right up to time of the doctor and you know it felt like that was the that's the best run we've had uh, the uh, the best run we've had since the show's come back and and I felt when it got to time of the doctor that there was just enough distance I had just enough distance that, that had passed since the last time I'd seen it and there was none of the um, the expectation that you have when you're watching it on Christmas Day, slightly full of sherry, um, fine wines and food, and you know it's a regeneration episode. I had I could stand back from it, and it had me in tears. I thought it was just beautiful. I rewatched it last night, and my memories from Christmas were fairly me- middling to mediocre. And to be honest, in rewatching, I felt much the same. It gets criticised for the whimsy and the sentiment and the humour. And to be honest, I don't mind any of that stuff. I, I like a little bit of whimsy in my Doctor mm. Who, and I'm always uh, happy for a little bit of humour. And I don't mind if they pluck my heartstrings from time to time. I think that the problem I had with it was there wasn't much else. There, there, there wasn't really a plot to speak of, or indeed much of a sort of threat as such. It's just lots of vignettes and little sort of set pieces that have been kind of loosely strung together into something vaguely resembling a story. Ooh. And... I, I found that, you know, yes, I enjoyed the individual scenes where there's a, a little joke here and a little sort of bit of whimsy there, but there wasn't much else going on. And I, I found it a very sort of average kind of a story, really. Really? So, see, that's strange because that's the opposite of, uh, of what I get from it and certainly what I got from it this time because I got 110% more, I think. And I think partly because I wasn't watching it with, as you in, like the night before reviewing it. And you often find that if I know I'm reviewing something and I'm watching it, I'm almost over-encumbered by the... Uh, um, the the note taking and the yeah, the analysis 
Uh, and I, I watched it with this person, and uh, yeah, it had me in tears. And I, and I think you're you're right in what you say about the the set pieces, the the fast Moffat set pieces at the start of the episode, where he keeps wandering, blundering into ships that uh, you know, spaceships that he he doesn't know who they belong to, uh, comically with with parts of them. So first it's the Dalek Ice Dork in the Dalek ship, and, and those were kind of they're Moffat sort of bong little amusing scenes. To, to get the sh- to get the show running, but then once it gets underway, once you get down to um, Christmas itself, it's kind of beautiful. Like, this is this is this doctor believing that this is the end of his life, and to see how he would choose to do it and how he would choose to stay and defend this tiny little town, I think sort of boils the whole idea of the Doctor down beautifully. You know, I like the idea that he would choose to stay and defend it, but it just it just didn't grab me. I think partly it was just so gloomy and so dark. Um, I, I could never even figure out why the people had settled there in the first place. If there's only a few minutes of sunlight and they were supposed to be a farming type community, it's like, well, what are they doing there in the first place? But it just, we talked about Legopolis not that long ago and had a strongly divided opinion. And, and some folks thought it was, was a dirge and kind of gloomy and slow. And that's what I feel about this one. I, his, his intentions for staying are noble, but it's, I don't find it much fun to kind of watch through the process. And I, I guess I'm not a big fan of, of putting a lot of extra makeup on, on actors, too, in this case, to, to age him. I, I, he was doing the right things, but, you know, there's a big finish play, Prisoner of the Sun, that has the Eighth Doctor doing a very similar scenario where he's staying to... He's allowing himself to be kept prisoner because he is protecting a society... And I, I loved it. I, I liked it much, much better in the big finish play than I did here watching it on TV. You keep talking about set pieces, which is interesting. The whole Christmas, the whole Trenzalore, it looked like a soundstage. It, it, I never did believe it was a planet. It just, eh, it never, I was never sold on it, never really bought into it. Yeah, you say there's no set pieces further on, but there are. You've got the Weeping Angels, who serve no purpose other than to get the Weeping Angels into the episode. Then you've got the Invisible Suntarans doing, you know, Dan Starkey's comedy routine with the Suntarans. Then you've got the, the Wooden Cyberman that's, wow, there's a neat little prop, but it doesn't do anything. And, you know, there's this repeats and repeats of this, where you get little scenes that in and of themselves are fun and entertaining, and some of them are quite neat, but they don't serve any bigger purpose and in fact I never bought into a bigger purpose for the entire Christmas town thing as Michelle was saying that the setup didn't seem to really make sense to me as to why all these ships were there why the time lords were choosing this way of doing things why the doctor chose this way of defending none of it really added up to me you know there's been so many times the doctor has found ways of solving problems like that that didn't involve sitting down and carving wooden toys for 300 years why did he choose to do it this time well you see i see i i like i like the whimsical nature of it i like i like the um i mean it, it has lots of nods in i mean it, it's it's a farewell episode so i i think it's it's fair game fair dues to, to throw in the cyberman um uh, the daleks just to, to to get them all in and i thought that was kind of done rather well and it was in the most part done early on in the episode uh, and then it was the scene that got me. And I remember this on first broadcast was um, was when uh, they arrived down there, and, and you've got the beautiful shot of, of Christmas in the valley, and it looks amazing. And, and the doctor says, "I almost don't want to find out what's going wrong." Um, and I just thought, "Oh, this is beautiful. This is this is the, the doctor arriving somewhere completely uh, a, a, a mystery, and it looks so perfect. And it's the heart of this this huge thing that we're, that we're all aware of." 
because at the heart of this, it, it is a, it's a small story. It's a, it's a small concept, a small story. And I, and I like the fact that such a, a grand episode, and it manages to be both at the same time. It manages to be grand and, and small and contained and, and contains the, um, you know, the DNA of the show. It's all boiled down, whilst at the same time being being epic. I, I thought it worked on every level. See, I don't think we're massively disagreeing, because I loved a lot of the individual scenes. I, I thought some of the performances were really nice, some mm-hmm. of the lines. Little individual building blocks were lovely. I just didn't think they added up to a greater whole. There, there was no story, really. It was just, you know, it was almost like a montage episode. There, there was no real story of its own to drive it forward and, and that's what left me a bit flat I, I, you know i could enjoy individual rides but there was no big roller coaster and to be fair watching it this time and i watched it last night as well for about the third time having watched the other regeneration stories that we've watched and thinking back particularly to planet of the spiders and how they had the different elements you know all these nods and the chase scenes that 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 really encapsulated the things that john pertwee loved I I did find it easier to watch. I, I was deeply disappointed when I, when I first saw it at Christmas. This time, well, it's still never going to be one of my favorite episodes. I, I think I was able to live with it more. Um, and, and part of it was that, thinking out, okay, you know, yeah, they've got all these monsters in it, and they're all completely ineffectual, but that's just because they're they're calling to mind the things that came before. I was bothered before by the appearance of Amy at the end, which I, I thought kind of diminished Clara's role, but this time around, I was okay with it when I thought back to scenes like in Legopolis, uh, like in Caves of Androzani, where you see the other companions, and, and, and thinking back to the Tenth Doctor visiting Rose right at the end, I thought, okay, this, this is continuing a tradition i see how that is those things actually sat much better for me this time through Mm. so it's interesting watching it in the context of regeneration stories made it a little more a little more tolerable for me even though i I, there's still a lot that a lot of choices they made that are not the choices that would work best for me Uh, on on the subject of um, you know aspects that uh, that that, you know that people don't like and that are are derided one of them is is handles andles as he he starts to go he starts to drop his h's towards the end um and i really like handles (laughs) i i think i think it's nice that that um that he's he's created this kind of synthetic pal this tamagotchi pal to to keep him sane and and he's developed a genuine relationship with it um, and and I think that pans out really nicely. I, I I love that that Moffat seed of you know just remind me to to patch the phone back into the TARDIS console. And and the way that ties up is beautiful and it's beautifully played by Matt. Even though he starts dropping his edges, which is which is uh, uncharacteristic of the Eleventh Doctor. But are you really you really believe it? You really feel that you know the, the love that this man has for his companions, be they inanimate or created or or just you know picked up from from Earth. You talked about crying when you saw this, and actually this time through, the only place where I felt at all emotional, just a slight tug, was the death of Handel's. And, and I agree. I think that that, uh, that, that was pretty effective. That, that was pretty powerful. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, that other story, the Big Finish story, also involves the Doctor with an android that he made. So it's the Doctor and an artificial intelligence being, you know, stuck someplace that he can't get out of, or, or won't, chooses not to get out of. So... <laughs> it's interesting how these things seem maybe to have seeds in some other places, but but I'll I'll grant you handles. I thought handles was good this time. So 
So generally, what do we think of, uh, of Matt Smith's performance in, in his final episode then? Uh, do, do we feel that he pulled it out of the back? I think he did okay with the material he was given. He did a very sort of standard Matt Smith performance. Uh, I thought some of the, the the bigger lines and sort of the monologues, particularly towards the end, he did well. He delivered them as you would expect him to, and he's been a great actor all the way through. I think he was let down by the fact that the material around him, to my mind... Well, no, actually, that's not fair. The, the, the lines that he was given and the individual scenes, again, as I said before, were good. It's just there was no story. There was no impetus to drive him forward as to I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or I've got to solve this he was just kind of there and things were happening and I don't think it was a great send-off for Matt Smith I think it was uh, something that struck me when I was watching it last night is if this was a regular season episode so it's somewhere in the middle of a 13 episode mm. run mm-hmm. it wouldn't be one of the episodes that everybody hates and everyone slags off and it's, it's not Rings of Akatan or something like that and equally, it's not one of the ones that people like and they love and they rave about. It's not a blink or a girl who waited or whatever. It's just one of those other ones. There's other stories that you watch and then you kind of forget about and you only really sort of uh, come back to you when you're doing some sort of marathon run-through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not bad, not good, just an episode. And there's a place for that in the normal series. But when it's, you know, the Christmas special and the huge build-up and it's just after the anniversary and it's Matt Smith's departure, to have such a sort of a humdrum forgettable episode i think was you know damning with faint praise oh you see i see i i think part of the beauty of of the way that moffat writes these these big episodes in a stark contrast to the way that the rtd did is the um is the way that he manages to have you know as i said like he boils it down to the dna to the core he boils away all of the all of the chaff uh and uh and he, he just has the the essential components within uh, a huge grand story and it's exactly the same as what he did with the 15th anniversary episode which i think works brilliantly as well you've got a kind of bog standard um a doctor who run around story they're running to and from something it's fairly basic and then all of the bolt-on bits that make it special weave in and dovetail beautifully and i think he did it with um uh, with, with the 50th anniversary special and I think he did it with this um, when you compare that to uh, to End of Time I think Matt Smith can be far prouder of his send-off than, than, than Tennant can of his it'd be interesting to see what Tennant says about um, the, the, the latter stories that he was given you know uh, given a few years and convent on the convention circuit um, when, when the truth starts to come out I mean I'm sure he wasn't quite so pleased but Russell T Davis seemed to go for just the big grand uh, Whereas I love the fact that, that Moffat try, keeps a bit of that core, a bit of the uh, the nucleus of the show. I wish I kind of had been able to be on last week's episode because I would have loved to have defended uh, The End of Time, which I like better than most everybody else on the planet, although I think it had, had major flaws. But one thing that did bother me about The End of Time also bothered me about this one. I think they kind of made the same mistake in getting... They began to talk about the show and about the role and about the actor. You know, at at the end of the end of time, you get this, I don't want to go. And, you know, you're hearing David Tennant and you're hearing Russell T. Davis and, and all of that. In addition, maybe more than the doctor. I, listening to the doctor's last speech in this one, you know, the whole bit about I'll never forget, you know, I'm not going to forget one line and I'll always remember the time when I was the doctor. Mm. Um, it, to me, it broke the fourth wall in a way that bothered me just to, as it did in the end of time. So. I see some of the same, what I consider, missteps being made. I wish they wouldn't do that. Just just let it be a good story. Let it be a great character and a good story. I, I see. I love the sentiment in that speech and, and uh, the, the part preceding that. With, you know, I'm going to change, but that's okay. Remember, 
the what what got us into the show was was, was the grand ideas and the 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 concepts that, that it gave you as a, as a child and sort of fed your your childish brain. That it's I'm going to change. It's okay as long as you remember all the people that you've been. And and this is this is talking to a to a small audience who's who saying just you know remember your experiences make you. And I like that that line was good. Yeah. See that line was good. It was the others that cross crossed the the fourth wall for me i see i don't actually think it was that grand a story i think it had pretensions to being a big grand story in sort of the feel of the the russell t davis era who loved to do those huge stories and you know all the build-up to it was huge you know the 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 fields of trenzalore and the fall of the 11th and you know the gravestones stretching out over the miles and you know this massive huge epic battle that we were sort of like trailed and expecting and it ends up being a village and a few people and a couple of invisible Sontarans. It 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 was tiny in comparison to what it had been built up to be, and it was it, it was trying to be mythic without a myth. That, that, that's what's beautiful, and that we all expected it to be this massive, um, you know, Hoth-style battle, and it wasn't. It was just a tiny little uh, village under siege that the Doctor had chosen to to stake a claim. Well, I mean, he didn't have his TARDIS, and that's even referred to in the show. You know, but it, it did make it easier to say that I didn't have the TARDIS. But you know, this is a, this is a Doctor who thinks that this is the end, and he chooses to to spend his his final years defending this tiny little place, and all the stuff with Barnable, and you know, that made you realise how long he'd been there. You really got a sense uh, that he'd been there for a long, long time. And, and it was all, it wasn't montaged. It, 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 was, it was done beautifully. With, you know, it was, we, we would cut back to the Doctor and there were little things that would, you know, little things, that there, was, there was the makeup, but the way that Matt held himself and the way that he, he talked and the way that he was still referring to this lad as Barnable. It obviously wasn't Barnable. At one point he says he's not. Um, that he just becomes this doddering old man, slowly before your eyes. Um, Oh, it's beautiful, and and we finally got to see uh, the old man in Matt Smith. That um, it, it had been said right from the moment that he started that he was a young chap with so much energy, but had this old man inside him, and and we all thought that when when he first took on the role, and we were all amazed by that, and we got a chance to see him doing it uh, visually as an old man, and it was it, it was beautiful. He played it he played it so well that those, the scene where he couldn't pull the cracker. Uh, because he didn't have the strength, mm. and Clara says, "Look, it's okay," and gives him a hand. Um, yeah, and that was a beautiful sm- touch. That was beautiful. Yeah, mm. yeah I mean, I, I just, I still thought the whole thing was was, was pitch perfect for me. Uh, and I, I'm re- I'm always really surprised when when I come across uh, you know how you guys perceived it to be, and and how, to be honest, when you look online, how you know, the vast majority seem to have uh, have taken it. Where, whereas having watched um, this series seven right through to the specials run recently. Uh, I I just I was blown away at how strong Moffat's scripts still are. It just seems to be getting better and better. Whereas I I definitely didn't have that feeling uh, towards the tail end of RTD uh, when he was getting other people to help him write stuff for the specials year. Um, and you, you just got a real palpable sense of a man that was running out of steam. And you also get that when you read uh, Writer's Tale when he talks about just walking around Cardiff Bay uh, and just desperately trying to think of ideas i i don't get the sense that that moffat is is at that stage that he is scrabbling around for ideas i just get the sense that he's just got he's bubbling he's still bubbling with them and so so i'm quite pleased at the news um this week that he's you know all but confirmed that he's um he's still in for series nine i think he's almost become too indulgent because i think and i i've seen this with uh, a few people who sort of uh, run with the property for a long time that 
I don't. I think what he needs is actually some more editing and pushback from other people because I think there are some lovely bits to this story, um, but if it had a, a stronger plot to hang them off of, I think it would have been a much, much stronger episode. The, um, as it is, you've got loads and loads of ideas, but no unifying thread tying them together, and I think that's where it didn't do anything for me. And, and you know, I've seen online people saying, oh, it, it leaves Doctor Who fans cold, but the public liked it that's not been my experience i watched it with the family and nobody in my family uh from my wife who watches all modern who with me to my mum who watches you know the christmas specials essentially nothing much else none of them liked it none of them enjoyed it they all were left cold by the whole story so i I don't know isn't this i think there is a there's something not right in there well in terms of watching it with with someone else last night i did have the chance to watch it with my 10 year old and, and that was also a very pure experience I guess for lack of a better word that that also did my heart good because I was sitting there with my cynicism and and knowing the things I don't care for about it knowing sometimes that Moffat's overall vision for the show is probably different than than my vision would be but my 10 year old loved it he loved it and he was enjoying it following along he'd seen it before but he was caught up in it and and to a certain extent I was able to disengage my judgment and and experience it through his eyes. So, yeah, there's that perspective too, and and you know, it's still apparently hitting the target audience, at least at least in our household. I think I had the same experience uh, as you, Michelle, because I watched it, like I say, with, with someone who's new to the show. I, I chose to introduce to the show by starting at series five, so that she, she could experience all of this Doctor, uh, and then um, and then experience the, new, the next one. And I, I, going back to what Ian was saying, you see, I, I just I just think the fact that that it's um, that it's so that it's so small, and that and, and you say there's no unifying thing that that uh, that strings it all together. And I think there is. I, I think it, it's it's that this doctor genuinely thinks that this is these are his end days, uh, and he has a choice, and he chooses to stay and do something tiny. But the the tiny thing, defending a small village of people is just as much as all of the battles that he's fought before and this is this his final battle is something small and that just that means something um and we and the fact that we were all expecting it to be something uh like trillions of trotlophane coming out of the sky and, uh, and and it wasn't it was just him fending off stuff one by one getting old fixing toys that I mean, that bit's beautiful um is this you now just fixing toys saving the saving the universe uh, it's just that's just that's just my doctor. Well, and I don't want to say that it was poor because it was small. Things, in fact, I think small is really, really powerful. The intimate and the relationship stuff. Caves of Androzani. I mean, the doctor died to save one person that that he was just barely getting to know, and it was brilliant. And and indeed, one of I do agree that that RTD got too big, and and to always be bigger and bigger and bigger is not necessarily the best thing story-wise. But actually, I think in this one, one of the things that, that I don't care for as much about, about the Moffat era is that the doctor the doctor's name is going to influence the entire universe and and the, everybody from everywhere is there to, to confront the doctor. So, yes, there was an intimate level down there in Christmas, but the overall story arc was this huge, huge overblown thing, I would almost say, um, again, I'm one of those people that would love the doctor to go back to being more of a an itinerant wanderer who's who's a little more mysterious and a little more in the shadows. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not that it was you know actually the smaller scale stuff was probably some of the good stuff in this. 
Well, on, on, on the subject of the, the Doctor going back to being sort of a you know, little sort of mysterious itinerant wanderer, I, I, mean, I think this, this is what Moffat has been resetting for, for a long while. Uh, the Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who thing was, was actually... I mean, I, I really, really dislike it when, when, they, when they do that. They break the fourth wall. They, do, they ask the question in the show. And I've always disliked it. Uh, even in The Five Doctors, there's a Doctor Who. Who? There's loads of scenes like that, uh, that that are really great with me. But as I've rewatched it recently, I've seen what he's what what he's done. I mean, Moffat is a very he's a clever man. He understands about language. And you know, you do that thing where you'll say a word and just just for no apparent reason, it will sound wrong. And you'll say it over and over again. I used to do it as kids. And you say this word. The more you say the word, the more alien it sounds. And and you can't remember whether you're saying it right. And you repeat it over and over and over again, and it starts to sound wrong. Um, and you, you see it for what it is. It's a collection of letters. It's a sound, uh, and it can also almost stop meaning something to you. And I think that's what's happened with with Doctor Who. Uh, and what he was doing with the repetition was reminding you that you know that the, the the show is called Doctor Who, but to the mass consciousness, that's all it's meant for a long time. It's Doctor Who. It's a television program. It's not a question. It's not. And he was reminding you that, that it is a question. That the, the central theme of the show is who is this guy, and he's obviously got it planned that um, Capaldi is going to reinforce mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the latest trailer. Oh, I mean, oh, I love it. Absolutely mm-hmm. love it. Uh, that's sixteen seconds that has been played on repeat for a long, long time. Uh, uh, tell me, am I a good man? And and I'm wondering because we've got he doesn't know how to fly the TARDIS at the end of this episode. Uh, he doesn't know if he's a good man. In this set of regenerations, has he forgotten, as well as the universe has forgotten him, has he forgotten, will he have no memory of his previous lives? Is this what Moffat's been building up to, the complete reboot? You know, he, he, he has no memory of what he's done before, and he's got to build from scratch, um, and we get the, the absolute reboot of the show. It's an intriguing thing, and it, it would actually parallel some of the journey of the first Doctor in terms of starting out as someone that we didn't know whether he was a good man and being strongly influenced mm. by his companions. So, hmm, okay. Is that a quirky theory? Not quirky. Mm, what is it we call be, it anyway? Kooky. Yeah. <laughs> Cute kinky that? theory of the week. Kooky theory. <laughs> of the week. So we we talk about the, the the arc that Moffat has been running. Of course, the other big notable element of this story is that this is where Moffat ties off lots and lots and lots of hanging threads that he's left over the entire Matt Smith era, going you know right back to the crack in the eleventh hour, uh, and silence will fall, and all these things that they're all explained within this story. How satisfied were we with the explanations? I'll tell you what. Third time through. Last night, it finally all started falling into place for me. Um, the first couple of times through, I was pretty dissatisfied. I thought there were a lot of things that were just, you know, dashed off. And, and ah, listening to it again, all right, I, I can see how everything falls into place. I can see how everything's there. Um, meh, so I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Yeah, it's Moffat doing his, I mean, he'll, he will tie up um, you know, an entire season's worth of, of mystery in a in a throwaway line, that's one of his skills. I remember on uh, on first seeing it uh, that that I was a bit oh come on that's that's mm-hmm. just a bit of a you know you, you've 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 popped that one in because everyone's been r- ranting about it on on the forums. Um, but it 
Yeah, and like you, Michelle, I, I watched it again, and I thought, actually, no, that, that does work. That's all it needs. If we'd gone off on a mass- massive tangent and there'd been a you know, a five-minute scene explaining why um, the Kaverian chapter had had blown up the TARDIS. It, it, it was said in a, a throwaway manner. It, it was fine. It would have been too much of a detour. Um, but it, it, it tied it up enough for me. Um, I just I just, I just, just think the more you watch Moffat, it's like a good painting. You know, the more you watch the Moffat episodes, the more they give you. And, and I get the opposite from the RTD scripts. The more I watch the RTD scripts, the more... Um, the more flaws I see. Whereas with Moffat, the, the stuff that I see uh, in the Moffat scripts each time, that I go, oh my God, I thought, that was, I thought that wasn't very good. But actually, it was just not me paying attention enough. Actually, I feel exactly the opposite. I feel like the more Moffat goes back to his stories and his characters and his concepts, the, the cheaper they get, the lesser they get. Uh, for example, the angels in, in Blink were incredible and scary, and they sent people back in time. But by the time we get to Flesh and Stone, there's a gazillion of them, and they break people's necks, and they're a much more pedestrian monster. Um, in this case, the uh, the silence, the silence where this incredible, you know, scare, one of the scariest creatures ever created in Doctor Who, now they're confessional priests. Uh, and, and finally, one that really bothered me, you know, back in Flesh and Stone, Time of the Angels, the church was really mysterious, and Father Octavian was a fantastic character. He had such dignity, such honor. I mean, you thought he might be a bad guy at first, but, but you know, when he dies, I think, you know, I think, sir, you know me at my best. He was amazing, and I wanted to hear more and learn more about this, this church that he was affiliated with. And in this story, we get Tasha Lem, who's kind of a, a nun that, is coming on to the doctor the whole time and, and that we'd never met before and showed up in a, in a position where it probably should have been, you know, River Song. Uh, it's just step by step by step. I feel like the, the more he picks at his creations, the less I enjoy them. But I th- see, I think that's just your standard law of diminishing returns. Uh, and I think, uh, and, and that's what's happened to the Daleks. Um, uh, and it happens to, to, to so much um, that, you know, through repetition, you become you become a bit uh, dull to it. I mean, I, I'll give him this. I mean, uh, with, the, with the angels, I think I, I agree with you that, 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 that their impact has been lessened each time. But at least he's trying to do something new with them each time. Uh, and each time they, you discover something new about them rather than them stagnating. But you know, I, I do agree that you know, the more you see one thing, the less impact it has as, as when you first saw it. Um, speaking of which... I mean, we're we're getting to the end now, so so we see uh, we see, we see the Doctor uh, regenerate at the end in, into and into Peter Capaldi. How how did you feel about the snap generation? Fantastic! I absolutely loved that. It, it in what was you know the most uh, well trailed and well known plot element since you know the sinking of the Titanic at the end of James Cameron's movie. Everyone knew this was coming. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Mm. And he still managed to take us by surprise <laughs> and blindside us and give you a shot. Yeah. That, to me, was one of the high points of the whole story and a fantastic mm. move. Mm. I have to say, I loved the snap regeneration. I thought that was fine. And thank goodness they got him back with all the make Matt Smith without all the makeup to have that final scene before the snap regeneration. I really didn't like the nuclear explosion regeneration energy with the Daleks. I mean... <laughs> Oh, it, I don't. It's one of those things where bigger isn't always better in my mind, and and to have the doctor using his regeneration energy to to slaughter Daleks with glee 
I mean, that's just, that's not, ew, that's not how it should work. That's not what the doctor would do. I mean, I know he's thrilled that he's got a whole new life cycle, and suddenly what looked like it was the end is the beginning. But to be using it to, to, to shoot Daleks and ships out of the sky, um, I, again, it's just a choice. I would have picked a different choice, a different way to resolve the thing that didn't involve the doctor destroying things as he regenerates. Uh, you see, I see. This is another uh, sort of aspect of the show that we're going to disagree on, Michelle. I see. I love that because you go from the doctor completely de- dejected. He sat down. He's saying, "Look, I haven't got anything this time. I don't, I don't, the only reason he's not firing is because you think I've got something up my sleeve. Well, I haven't. Just, just do it." And then when he discovers that he's he can do it, he can save this place. And uh, and oh my God, I mean, this is a man who's come to terms with the fact that he's he's dying. He's he's got moments to live, and he is he's at peace with it. And then he discovers that he's not, and he's got a full new set of regenerations. And we know that there's that fire, that darkness inside the Doctor, and you know, and we saw the fire literally shoot from his hands. Uh, when he when, when uh, he discovered that uh, that he had the power to to stop it all, um, and I think that that's just beautiful, and it's it's wonderful that we went back to because one of the one of the I mean one of Matt Smith's iconic uh, scenes as, as the Fifth Doctor is is from the Pandora Opens where he's at Stonehenge uh, and he does the Stonehenge speech. I mean, mm-hmm. there's stuff there's stuff online where they've got practically every doctor except Tom Baker, I think, to 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 read it at conventions how they would read it. It's, it's become one of those one of those iconic scenes, and I think it will be forever. And, and that kind of summed up Matt Smith's Doctor, the eleventh Doctor, that he had these moments of grandeur and he delivered those speeches so wonderfully. There's one thing you never put in a trap. I think was was probably the first, um, and. And it was nice, and, and that's where he came back. And on original broadcast, you think, oh, well, we're not going to get to see him like young Doctor. Uh, oh, it's nice to see him all full of himself again. And then we do. But when you see the feet, the shoes walking up the staircase, you assume that he's already regenerated. I mean, I, I, mean, I did. I mean, I, I assume that that's the idea, that you think we're going to pan up and we'll see the new Doctor, but you don't. You, you see your 11th Doctor one last time. Yeah. Well, I, for me, I just went through in my head all the other Doctors. This is the only Doctor that is reborn in the process of killing other beings. And and, and I know I'm being harsh and everything, but uh, I don't like it. It's just not the choice I would have made. Well, this is the same Doctor that wiped out all the Time Lords, wiped out all the Daleks, wiped out Scaro back in remembrance of the Daleks. He's not quite the fluffy bunny that people sometimes like to make him out to be. He has done you know he's, he's committed genocide on numerous occasions so i i know that there's a morality argument but that there is some precedent around this so i don't think it's entirely off kilt although i do see where you're coming from tell me in be my pal <laughs> is that is the doctor a good man <laughs> of course he's a good man <laughs> I, I love the way we're heading I, and, I, and I, having watched it again I keep saying this I keep watched it and that entire run again I can see how long this has been slowly set up for us and the ideas have been planted in our, in our heads and I have absolute faith as I have done I have done all the way through Moffat's era that um, that this that he, he has a long game plan um, and and I love the I love the little puzzle pieces that, that slot into place um, and the Moffat era, I, for me, I think, will be looked upon as, as the golden age of the new series. It, it'll be the Hinchcliffe Holmes era of um, of the new series.
Well, funny you should mention those uh, eras uh, back from the classic series, which calls back to the Tom Baker era, because Michelle and I have changed our focus of Big Finish reviews and decided to look at the third series of Tom Baker stories for Big Finish. Big Finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish Sorting out the wheat from the chuff and nonsense Saving you money on the ones that are not so good This week we're taking a step out from the 8th Doctor series to start looking at the recent third series of 4th Doctor adventures with Louise Jameson as Leela. In King of Sontar, the Doctor and Leela find themselves pulled off course in the TARDIS by a very familiar force of intervention. I thought the Time Lords would have got over their infantile manipulation of it by now. The Time Lords? Yes. They've diverted the course of the TARDIS, landed us on a totally different world. Is this a bad thing? Well, they certainly don't do this sort of thing for fun. They want something. Treating me as their errand boy, sending me into a war zone. There is a problem here they wish you to deal with. A probable problem, yes. An incipient issue. And judging by the previous occasions they've sent me into danger, almost certainly something with potentially fatal consequences. In this story, the Doctor and Leela find themselves uh, facing the Santarans again, although in this case it's a couple of very particular Santarans uh, approached from a different way. In fact, General Strang, the big baddie in this one, is in fact a big baddie, a big Santaran, a Santaran who is not like any Santaran that they've ever run across before, one who is taller, who goes without his armor because he's almost invulnerable even without armor uh, and, and is quite the interesting foe. Uh, in fact, there's there's two Santarans, General Strang and also uh, another one they refer to as the Coward, who both go without armor in this. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of a page out of Cold War and, and seeing the Ice Warriors without armor for the first time. Yes, and you actually end up with uh, almost a Santaran civil war going on here with the Santarans fighting each other and different factions. And I thought that the the general plot and setup for this was very, very strong, and I, I really enjoyed the setting they've created uh, and the characters. It was fun to hear David Collings in there with uh, the Doctor and Leader, because he was in Robots of Death with them as well, so there's a little bit of a sort of a, a cast get-together on this. And the machinations back and forth between, you know, one group of Santarans and the Doctor and the other was a very interesting plot to listen through. I agree with you that the setup was interesting, and I liked this sort of new angle glimpse into the Santarans. But to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed in this one. Uh, while there were some interesting elements, I felt like a lot of the ways it played through was fairly trite or cliched. For instance, there's a, an emotional relationship that develops between Leela and, and one of the Santarans that, you know, you could kind of see where it was going, and it just felt like it was following the same script that you, you see. I, I hate to use the word trope, but in this case, I I think it's the exact word that, that for me, it just felt a little shallow. You know, there's a ruthless mercenary, a female character who I was never convinced was really all that ruthless, although by the end of the, the script, she's doing ruthless things, but she just sounded too nice. There's a scientist that is, is again, the cliched scientist who cares more about seeing his work get accomplished than about any consequences. And yet he was being so blind that I had a hard time believing he could really be that blind. It just seemed like one thing after another. And then finally, in the climax, there's this big moral debate between Leela and the doctor about an action that, frankly, I had forgotten still needed to be resolved at the end. It felt kind of tacked on to me. So yeah, interesting elements, but it fell short for me. I can see what you mean. It's very much a straight down the line Doctor Who story. There's nothing particularly odd or innovative going on here. But I enjoy that. And I enjoy every once in a while as having a very straightforward, you know, by the numbers story. 
The other thing worth mentioning here, of course, is that uh, Dan Starkey performs the Sontarans in this and performs all the Sontarans, as you would expect for a clone race. And I found his performance to be quite fascinating, especially when he was playing off against himself as one Sontaran talks to the other. You think but a dozen of you can stop me? We are the finest soldiers the Vats have produced. Your demise is certain. Oh, spare me the propaganda. You are shaking. You have arranged yourselves in Field Defense Posture 8, a tight circle allowing no clear shot to your probic vents. If my death is an inevitability, why take such cowardly steps to protect yourselves? You will put down your weapon and submit to execution. You will surrender to the justice of the Supreme Sontaran Empire. No! One of that was particularly interesting here is that he gives that great performance that he does for Strax, but without any of the comedy overtones. This was a very straightforward, serious, threatening Sontaran. And it was actually really enjoyable to hear him do that performance without all the sort of, uh, you know, comedy sidekick routine that he does with Strax. You know, you're right. Dan Starkey is always outstanding. In many ways, he owns the Sontarans in the same way that Nicholas Briggs kind of owns the Daleks. The definitive Sontarans are our Dan Starkey. And that is one of the high points of this. Definitely a good start to the third series from my perspective and looking forward to hearing more with Tom Baker and Louise Jameson. And for me, not quite the strong start I would have hoped for, but it's always great to be back with the fourth Doctor and Leela. Well, never fear, listeners. We are, in fact, also still continuing our, our look at the Eighth Doctor and Charlie stories in the Big Finish range. We're just going to we're gonna dip in and out, I think, of the Fourth Doctor as well and, and, and mix it up a little bit. So lots to listen for and lots to look forward to. What else do we have to look forward to within the next seven days? Well, we have part two of the uh, Recutting the Key to Time series, uh, which is uh, our look back at, uh, at the well, perhaps Doctor Who's first proper season arc. Uh, and we're looking at Tom Baker's T- Key to Time series. Yes, and that will be on a special podcast coming out this weekend. And then we'll be back with our regular campervan visit uh, this time next week. So this is me, Lisa Fisher, saying goodbye. And this is me, Ian, saying goodbye. And this is me, Michelle, high in the Rocky Mountains, saying goodbye. We can't really say that because we're all in the campervan, aren't we? <laughs> it's a trans-dimensional campervan that can be in multiple places at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a small nucleus of what the Doctor Who podcast is, but yet grand at the same time. Uh-huh. you've been listening to the doctor who podcast brought to you this week by ian michelle and lisa you can check out more episodes of the show at the doctor who podcast.com or check us out on facebook twitter or drop by the doctor who podcast forums and say hi thanks for listening see you later Capaldi is the 14th Doctor. Come on, the evidence is there. It's in the story. Peter Capaldi is the 14th Doctor. Goodbye.